And welcome to episode 398 of the Siren Studs podcast. I'm Kurt, joined this week by my over overly self-indulgent co-host, Jake. <laughs> I thought you had a, another... I was, I'm used to Peter's riffing, uh, constantly carrying us through. Well, well, I, I, I do my bit, and then I throw it to the next guy. And well, in that case, that's you. <clears throat> Oh God, that's right. Because we don't, we're not going to have a theme. Damn. Um, well, yeah, we hey. could say this is the. I, I suppose. Okay, I suppose I failed you there at not saying that this is the. Uh, I don't even have a good outlandish thing to <laughs> to call this. The three and a half hour long edition. I should. I should. <laughs> yeah. Because we the... should have. We should have like a hat for when Peter's not here. Oh, just themes like in the full hat. of full of random <laughs> phrases. <laughs> we just pull one out. Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. It's Mad the Lips. cranberry pineapple upside down cake edition of the podcast. <laughs> we should, uh, we which, should which I am, I am almost like five percent sure was at one point <laughs> an edition of this show. Uh, give me a random podcast theme. The Exploring the Unseen Supernatural Encounters and Everyday Magic Edition of the... Uh, like podcast. it. So. <laughs> Everyday Magic. <laughs> that seems so out of place with the rest of the stuff they Ex- talk about. <laughs> Exploring the Unseen Supernatural Encounters and Everyday Magic. <laughs> well, like like circus magic? Like just, uh, you know, a performer? No, I'm thinking like grandfather magic tricks, like the whole like detaching the thumb oh, yeah. from the hand trick. Yeah. Oh, how do you get my nose? I never know. Nobody will ever know. Pulling a coin out from behind your ear. I, you know, I keep on telling him he should continue to do that until he's a millionaire. <laughs> but he never does. He doesn't want to. Alchemy defies the laws of uh, nature that way, and then, well, then we have to sacrifice him to Cthulhu. So. You know, it happens. That took a dark turn. Don't practice alchemy if you don't know what you're doing. You should have watched uh, Full Metal. What's the worst that happens? You lose an arm, yeah. maybe a body. Maybe a little brother. <laughs> maybe you inadvertently create a chimera that helps overthrow a government. You know? Whatever. It happens. But yeah, other times it doesn't. Depends if you watch Brotherhood or the original. <laughs> exactly. And uh, speaking of Full Metal Alchemist, uh, this week we're coming at you live from Oklahoma, which we yep. all know is the setting of Full Metal Alchemist. So it it's, it's well documented. That's what the Oklahoma City bombing was. <laughs> it's a transmutation circle gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, good old Oklahoma. Who knew? <laughs> kind of state full of uh, planes, oil, and uh, the U.S.'s utter shame. Yeah, I mean, a lot of great things have come out of Oklahoma, like uh, Joe Exotic and <laughs> the Tulsa Massacre. <laughs> the Tulsa Massacre <laughs> and the Oklahoma City bombing and the 
Yeah. What the fuck? And the killers of the flower moon. <laughs> hey, Oklahoma, you good? No, they are <laughs> categorically not good. <laughs> What's wrong with Oklahoma? Everything so is, much. And uh, I'll take, I can take full credit for this, but I will say everything is not okay in Oklahoma. Ha. Mm. Mm, good pun. Thanks to uh, Hulu, Murders in the Building. That was a uh, their joke, not mine. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was oh, a joke on that show. That's true. All right, let's uh, let's talk turkey and let's talk trailers in our weekly trailer review and roundup segment. Tray watch. That's right. We got the tray watch in under five minutes. Suck it, <laughs> haters. I ain't got time for your hating. Get out of the kitchen. Uh, the kitchen is a Netflix movie uh, starring someone named Kane Robinson, who I don't think I've seen in anything before, but that might be because he's a child actor. Um, Wait, that that's the star? Oh, I guess it's that, that kid. I, I don't know that for sure. I've just never heard of Kane Robinson, and that might explain why. Well, because they show a lot of the bigger guy, the adult. No, okay, I guess, I guess that. Oh, okay. So he's a he's a British rapper and songwriter named uh, goes by Kano, like the the Mortal Kombat villain. Oh um, yeah, and he's of he's the bald guy. Yeah. Huh. I guess that's 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 why this movie exists. It's a Kano vehicle. <laughs> Yeah, this is um I don't it might be good, who knows? I don't know. Um it probably isn't my cup of tea. I think its ceiling is probably being as good as something like Samaritan. Yeah. Which wasn't bad, but like I don't know that anyone would have to go out of their way to see it. I mean, if you're a um anarchist anarcho-communist ruffian <laughs> on the streets of uh England, London, you know, just biking around everywhere, causing mayhem. This might be for you. Um, in kind of like a futuristic society, which is funny because they're still riding around on dirt bikes. I think it's like near future. Yeah. Like a 20, 2077 sort of deal. But they're like slingshotting drones. So it's like, ooh, future. Well, you know, there are going to be poor people in the future too, Jake, and they're going to have to improvise weapons. They're okay. gonna they're gonna have to slingshot some drones. Um, that's you know. that's just how it's gonna be. Warfare evolves. Yeah, <laughs> and guerrilla warfare along with it. Slingshots and drones. <laughs> we love to see it. But um, it is funny because uh, I I feel like this is for some reason just a common thing amongst cities. I don't know if they were trying to play at that, but the uh, dirt bikes and ATVs in the city is such. It- it makes for cool sh- it, there's cool shots you can do with it yeah but like that happens in the real world too it's it's annoying <laughs> but i don't know if uh if they're trying to say like oh all all cities are going to have this in 2050 every city will have a <laughs> a gang of atv and dirt bikes and they're going to annoy you with their loudness meow meow meow, meow. Yeah, so catch that January nineteenth only on Netflix. To pay your twenty bucks a month, get this movie for absolutely free. Unless you want to have ads, then it's like what seven dollars? I think. I, you think I don't know? <laughs> I'll never tell. 
So, where's that Netflix ad block, please? Uh, nowhere to be found. Um, I don't know. What else, I don't have a good transition. I was going to say, nowhere <laughs> to be found, just like the plot of Spaceman. Because um, we got a teaser for it. Um, and it, it was a teaser. Certainly was a teaser. Um, not really much to say about this. It's a 30-second trailer of a a man in a spacesuit walking through a river. Wading through water. <laughs> wading through water. Possibly fly fishing. I don't know. That's normally not the gear you would wear. But... No. I. What if, what if the plot of this movie is just a man... Like escapes from a mental asylum and he thinks he's an astronaut exploring a a foreign world. <laughs> hey, your guess is as good as mine. Could could very well be. I think that'd be more interesting, personally. Yeah. I I think it has a uh, some room for. Some or cool maybe, stuff. or maybe he's from like a a parallel Earth-like planet. <laughs> I I immediately got like Planet of the Apes vibes. Because the guy like crash lands on a planet and then is like walking around in a spacesuit through like the desert and stuff, and I don't know, it's that um, juxtaposition of wearing something you're not supposed to wear in an environment that is not suitable for it. Um, I don't know. I think a spacesuit is a viable. Uh, choice of outfit in all environments. <laughs> wading through, yeah, wading through a river, you know, it keeps you protected. It's well, I mean, they outfit. they train underwater with yeah. these things, so like, it can handle it, <laughs> but not shin level. <laughs> <laughs> That's just absurd. <laughs> That's where we're break, where the protection breaks down at shin level. You gotta get under. You gotta get lower quicker than that. <laughs> If he's not at least diving down to grab some crawdads. Dive head first. <laughs> Once it gets to around your ankles. This I just I just can't get into a movie that doesn't that's not grounded, you know? Yeah, it really really is tough to, to kind of suspend your disbelief like that. Of course. Uh you know, that's it's it's what gets it's what gives people a hard time getting into fiction. Like American fiction, the second trailer, um, it's it's very similar to all the stuff we saw in the first trailer, except more uh, more racism, I guess. <laughs> I must have missed this one. You, yeah, you might have been out the week we covered it, but I don't know. I don't know anymore. Or maybe yeah. we cut it from a larger trailer lineup. Could have been. Could have been it. I don't know. But uh, so the the premise is a black author who writes very sophisticated books um, is outsold by someone, another black author who uh, just writes like really stereotypical shit. And so he gets really to like prove his point. He writes something like that and it really blows up. And uh, he has to, like, wrestle with his conscience about that. Um, yeah. It's a solid premise. It, yeah, it doesn't, look, it doesn't look too bad. I think it's got... It's got a chance to be good if they uh, kind of strike the right balance with their... Um, their message. Yeah. Um, but it's got, got some pretty good... 
good actors in it. I think uh I think it'll be pretty pretty decent. Mm-hmm. It's got a pretty good cast. Um saw Jeffrey Wright. Um, yeah, Jeffrey Wright, uh think Sterling K. Brown also. Sterling K. Brown, that's who it was. Yeah. Um, He's a fantastic actor. So we'll see what else. What else that has? There's a guy who looks like Jordan Peterson. <laughs> but he's clearly not. It's Peter Jordanson. Yeah. <laughs> Your book is The Dragon of Chaos. <laughs> I've read it multiple times. On three times speed. I can listen to things that fast because I have practiced semen retention. <laughs> All the semen is in my brain making me think faster, smarter, better. Why Why does your Jordan Peterson sound like a bad impression of Kermit the Frog? Because Jordan Peterson sounds very similar to Kermit the Frog and it's... It's upsetting. No, Patrick Mahomes is Kermit the Frog. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to get out there. We're going to throw the ball. We're going to make some. My O-line is going to really cover for me, I swear. And I'm going to get it out there and hit Kelsey, my boy. He's going to be in the touchdown zone. And uh, maybe I'm going to run it a couple times. But uh, you know I'm, you know I'm going to bitch the refs. If you they better even throw that more. flag. <laughs> if they if don't even... throw that flag after, after he sniffs me. I swear to God, my life's in danger. Just let us play the game. I'm the biggest star in the league. <laughs> um, technically, Josh Allen's stats are better than Patrick Mahomes. Even though I don't think they're the best in the league, but like this year, maybe not for the career, certainly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for this year, okay. so far. Well, let's. I'm sure that will uh, correct to the mean. <laughs> yeah. It'll course correct. Well, I mean, also, uh, I think uh, Patrick Mahomes has been in there longer, so maybe he's slowing down after a few years. But I don't know. I, don't, I think uh, the Chiefs just need to get another actual receiving threat on their team. Mm-hmm. But Travis but that's, Taylor that's not what Kelsey. this. Uh, that's not what this podcast is about. We're not a football podcast. No, about like if you if you got me going, if you got me started, we could easily fill an hour of just football talk. Um, Land of Bad is our next trailer, um, and it is a uh, a movie that marks the uh, Segalification of Russell Crowe's career. He's now starting to take movies because uh, of his increased size where he can be uh, sitting for the majority of the movie. And uh, that's what he does here. He's like ground control for Air Force and uh, sits in a chair and tells the lesser Hemsworth uh, what to do with himself. <laughs> it's got it's got Liam and Luke. It's got, yeah, it's got, it's got both lesser. It's got both of the lesser Hemsworths in it. Yeah. Would be would have been real cool if they could have gotten three, but nope. Did didn't have the budget. Yeah, with, with Russell Crowe in there, they they had to sacrifice some things. That would have been interesting if they had like uh, cast the other Hemsworth in that role. Yeah. 
That would have been cool. I would have liked that. They should have done one. I don't know if these guys are actually brothers in the uh, movie, but they should have done like there's a group of brothers. I don't know, mm-hmm. committing war it's crimes. It's just just two brothers. Yeah, just two brothers committing war crimes or running across some sort of triple frontier. Well, it's also got um. Did I see? He only shows up for a split second a couple times, but um, it's the father from This Is Us. I yeah. I don't know who that is. Fuck, he's got some Greek ass name. I'm pretty sure. Oh, is it Milo Ventimiglia? Yes. Milo Ventiglia. Ventriloquism. Yeah, that guy. (laughs) He's a very good actor. So, um, this might have some chops. But, um, Russell Crowe pulling the old Steven Seagal maybe diminishes it a little bit. It's from... It's from something called The Avenue, which I've never heard of before. I, you know what? I didn't give this trailer much of a thought because I f- assumed it was just some Lionsgate movie. <laughs> yeah. But now I'm interested. Who made you? Why do you exist? Yeah, I thought it was like going to be kind of more of a just action porn, just going around blowing shit up for the sake of blowing shit up but it seems like it has some sort of story behind it and that is um maybe a little bit um um i i don't know (laughs) i don't think it's gonna be all that deep especially when when you go on imdb this is the one piece of trivia for this movie you ready for this liam hemsworth and luke hemsworth are actually related parenthetical brothers in real life dude that's so smart. I hope you were sitting down for that one. Oh. IMDb knows knows all the information. It knows every fact ever. They got the scoop. They got the scoop on everything. People use Wikipedia to write their research papers. Nah, man, IMDb. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Why why look something up in um in EBSCO? When you, can... you never hear teachers complaining about using IMDb as a source. Yeah. yeah. So you can definitely source that. Source that bullshit. You a fucking teacher on the ass about using Wikipedia? Say fuck you. I use IMDb. Yeah. Look at this source. This is the best damn source I've ever had. Alrighty. Um. And I think the last trailer we have here is Love Lies Bleeding. Yeah, we got Kristen Stewart. Um, and also... What is it? Katie O'Brien? Yeah, Katie O'Brien. Um, who's some sort of female bodybuilder who's in a relationship with Kristen Stewart because ever since Casey decided she was a lesbian, that's all, all the roles she's done. <laughs> Hell yeah. I've been for gay characters. Um good type and cast. they like they shoot someone and then go on the run, I guess. Um yeah, something like that. And uh that's the crux of the movie. Yeah, it seems like there's also like some side stuff about like trafficking weapons and I haven't seen like drugs in it, but it seems like they're there's something also with like since they're on the border of Mexico, I think they might traffic like arms back and forth to the U.S. 
um, from director Rose Glass, which is a, an all-timer of a name right there. Comes an electric new love story. Reclusive gym manager Lou falls hard for Jackie, an ambitious bodybuilder, headed through town to Vegas in pursuit of her dreams. But their love ignites violence, pulling them deep into the web of Lou's criminal family. Oh, so I guess uh, her father is like a mob boss or some sort of yeah, thing that, of that, that nature. The, the, the arms trafficking comes into play. As I saw, there were Saran wrapping a, a rifle or some shit. Because everyone knows that you gotta gotta wrap it up to preserve the freshness. Yeah, you, got, you gotta make that water tight. <laughs> Can't let any moisture get in. Looks like an AK forty-seven, which you could probably shoot underwater. Oh yeah, you can you can send that to the moon and back, and it'll be fine. Um. But yeah, it's for drug dogs. I don't know. No. <laughs> Watch the movie and find out. Gun dogs. <laughs> this is our gun sniffing dog. <laughs> Milo. <laughs> All right, that's yeah. trailers. I think. Yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, that was a that was a tight tray watch. One of the tightest you'll ever see. Um, let's move on now to the follow up in record time. All right. <clears throat> Domestic Weekend 50. It's almost over, guys. The year is almost over. Uh, where did the time go? Um, covering last weekend, which was December 15th through the 17th, 2023. Uh, in first place, opening in first is Wonka, to the tune of $39 million in 4,200 theaters. A, uh, a modest opening a pretty good opening i i'd think i don't know how much wonka's budget was but if they figure you got to be pretty happy with that wonka budget 125 million dollars so you're looking at like 325 million as a break even point probably mm-hmm. so Maybe. I mean, they did pretty well. I mean, globally, uh, it worked out yeah, pretty well. Yeah, the international box office was quite good. $113 million for that. So $170, about halfway there already. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least made back the production budget already. So good on you, Timothy Chamomile. Um, yeah, and I've, I've heard, like, okay things about it. Yeah, it's yeah. actually reviewed pretty well. Um, I didn't... So my my main criticism of the movie is that it has no real reason to exist. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't necessarily think that it would be a bad movie because it's got it's got a good cast and um you know there is uh for people who didn't want to watch the Tim Burton movie um which. I guess adapted a little more from the book in terms of like the origin of things. You have this movie, which kind of serves as, as an exploratory piece for that earlier portion of the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory book, or like not, not like chronologically the earlier portion of the book, but the portion of the book that deals with events that happened much earlier in the chronology if it's not obvious i'm stalling for jake who has left to attend to his child um 
and uh, left me alone. But that's okay, because I can tell you all about how Wonka is reviewing uh, with critics. I'll tell you that. It's got a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb and 83% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 90% audience score and a meta score of 66 with with a user score of 6.6 to match. So uh, generally favorable is the consensus on on this. Uh, what was what's the critic consensus on Rotten Tomatoes here? Critics consensus with director Paul King at the helm and some solid new songs at the ready. The warmly old-fashioned Waka puts a suitably sweet spin on the classic character while still leaving some room for the source material's darker undertones. Um, and the audience says, as long as you go in ready to take it on its own terms, Wonka is a funny, heartwarming musical that dreams up a new origin story for a classic character. But fuck all that bullshit. We aren't interested in what those critics have to say. They don't count. You understand me? They're not important. They're not real people. No. And they're certainly not real reviewers. To find real reviewers, you have to venture to a place so dangerous that only the bravest amongst us dare go. And that's the IMDb user review section on imdb.com. There you will find such uh, soothsayers as Ospire, Osprey, E-Y-E. It's not Osprey. I, I can tell you that right now. They have a 10 out of 10 review of Wonka titled, A Love Letter to the Original, comma, a must-see. I cannot recommend this movie enough. What you will see will defy expectations. It's a worthy prequel to the original. Great characters, great story, great relationships, great music and songs, funny, heartfelt, and clean. Funny was randomly capitalized, which I found quite funny. Um... Most modern sequels, prequels, reboots, and spinoffs undermine the original characters, make apologies, and retcon the originals due to changes in society and political correctness. Oh, you said the secret word. Oh, I did it. <laughs> wah, 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 the secret word. There's no, uh, there's no period after correctness, but uh, here is capitalized nonetheless. Here is a film written and produced by people that love and respect the original. Go see it message so so bold it needed to be its own paragraph as far as how timothy chalamet compares to gene wilder ellipses gene wilder will forever be the only gene wilder <laughs> that's correct mm-hmm. that being said timothy chalamet knows who he's trying to be and i think his act he is acting his heart out trying to be a younger version of wilder's wonka it was, I was really worried, especially after seeing Dune, that he would be this serious brooding character like Paul Atreides. When he needs to, he does. But he also has a larger-than-life Wonka energy. Enthusiasm, spontaneity. Could have just used a touch more spontaneity, though. It's almost like seeing Heath Ledger in A Knight's Tale or Ten Things I Hate About You and... Th- ANF is then seeing him in the Dark Knight and thinking, wow, he can also become that character. So um, my takeaway from that review is Timothy Chalamet's on Suicide Watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, this just in actors have range. You know? Yeah. It's <laughs> not like he, he's only done serious roles. He wasn't yeah. definitely in a goofy Netflix comedy or anything like that. Yeah. Um, all right, we got 
five out of ten. Magical Wonka fun, but not for everybody. Cruz uh, one says two point five out of five stars. Wait, what? But that's it's the same as before. <laughs> Wonka is a pretty bad fantasy musical film that is an origin story to Willy Wonka and how he came to be before he made his factory. Starting off poor, coming across greedy and corrupt chocolatiers. Made no sense. <laughs> Plot is decent. Timothy Chalamet did a great job with his performance. The script is cheesy, the humor is tacky, and more aiming for the children audience. The musical sequences I did find to be quite forgettable. It was hard to feel emotional with the characters. Fans of Willy Wonka will enjoy this film more with its magical direction. Hugh Grant playing an Oompa Loompa and the cheesy humor. That made no sense. And <laughs> rightfully so, Zero Out of Zero found that helpful. What a what a shame. Um, in, I'm Sieg has a 6 out of 10 review uh, titled It looks the part, the actors are terrific, but the actual story and songs fail to excite me. Memories of Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka performance come to mind, and whereas his 1971 version was magical and witty, this 2023 version of Wonka is a bit underwhelming, to be honest. The bad. The songs just don't excite me. And they they just don't. They are not terrible, but quite average. The songs in the 1971 version of Willy Wonka were superb. I can still remember them to this very day. More bad. There is a lack of magic and surprise. The story just doesn't take me on a trip like the original did. Sorry that I keep comparing this one to the original. Perhaps I shouldn't? Question mark. Not any good then? Question mark. This movie will surely please the young kids, who of course are the target audience for this movie. It is nice fantasy musical for sure, but with a bunch of terrific English actors who lift this movie up. Timothy Chalamet did an alright job as well. Nothing to really dislike about it, but nothing to get really excited about it either, unfortunately. For me as a grown-up fan of the original Willy Wonka with Gene Wilder, 103 out of 167 people found that helpful. Big numbers. Uh, Emma Rice. I'm going to call that Emma Rice. Her first name's Emma, last name's Rice. I had a 10 out of 10 v- review of Wonka. Uh, and they also compare it to the original version of Willy Wonka, but a bit more favorably. The best Wonka since Gene Wilder. One hour and 56 minutes of pure brilliance we smiled we laughed we cried it will take you to a world of pure imagination and keep you there the entire time (laughs) it's just morphing into bernie as it always does it will end up being a classic and one not to miss i couldn't name another thing i didn't like so this was a 10 for me i couldn't name one thing i didn't like so this was a 10 for me Think The Greatest Showman meets Willy Wonka. It's been a long time since I've left the movie theater feeling the way Wonka made me feel. Being 35 I've <laughs> means I had a childhood watching classics. One of them being Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I must prepare you. The end of this new Wonka will take you right back to the same feelings you got watching the original for the first time. People 
Prepare yourself to well up. Those first musical notes of pure imagination is transformative. Wonderful, just wonderful. 12 out of 30 found that helpful. Um, oh, sorry. I, I stalled as much as I could. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, he's, just, he's just tired. So we're going to try to get him down. Um, so I did my 5 out of 10 a little early, so I jumped the gun a little bit on that one. Um, my bad. I'm all over the place today. So we're going to go with Super John. 1 out of 10. Awful film. We're going to... We're going to backload you with some terrible reviews of this shit. We're going to leave you on a sour note. Yeah. Because we're monsters. The, <laughs> I adore the original 1971 Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It is a true classic. The 2005 edition with Johnny Webb was okay, but compared to this film, it is a masterpiece of epic proportion. Chalamet does not do a great job as the titular character. It feels like he was overacting constantly. The story is a, is strange and is hard to follow. The visuals may look attractive to some, but personally, I found them nauseating. The songs are terrible and forgettable, and there is an unnecessary amount of them. Very, very few jokes land. Hugh Grant does an okay job, but others did not perform here. Don't waste your money seeing this. 34 out of 63 found that helpful. Wow. Just, just a... A rough review. Just a hate fest right there. And uh, another hate fest, one out of ten. If I could give it a zero, I would. Oh, Davey coming Lawrence out swinging. Worst movie I've seen in years. Went, went to see it out of nostalgia and walked out after an hour. Simply awful. The singing and music is terrible. The acting, awful. Recreating the Wonka persona doesn't work for me. As a character... It was far. It was too far removed from what I remember as a child. Children with no knowledge of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory will probably enjoy this as a standalone movie. But some things should just be left alone. Looking at cast and the director, this movie should be much better than it is, but falls well short. Doubled up with the most talkative and disrespectful crowd I've experienced in the cinema. Meant there was no joy for me. 15 out of 21, found that helpful. Sounds like you just had a bad personal experience. Yeah, that was, that sounds rough, man. Like, sorry, you went through that, but. Yeah. All right, well, that's Wonka. Uh, moving back to the box office results. In second place, we have The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Uh, and it's fifth week, so it had a nice little run on top there. Um,. 5.8 million, sorry. <laughs> 299 million worldwide. So it's it's done pretty well for itself. The Boy in the Huron drops two spots from being number one at the box office last week. Uh, down all the way to third this week, as I mentioned prior. 57.6%, 5.5 million for The Boy in the Huron, which made $117 million worldwide. And it's a couple weeks. Um... I'm sure that's doing decently. Godzilla Minus One continues its rampage through the box office, uh, bringing in another week in the top five. Um, and I heard it's there was going to be a black and white release of it, too. But that might be Japan. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's not a movie that was shot specifically for black and white, so <laughs> I don't really know what it's going to add. 
I know. I think they're really trying to go for that nostalgia aspect of it. Yeah. Because um, they they brought I mean they brought the score in from the old one, so they're like, oh, we're gonna really bring it at home for them. Yeah, Godzilla minus one, doing just fine. Seventy one million dollars worldwide, um, which I think. I I'm not sure if it's passion Godzilla or not yet in terms of highest grossing Toho Godzilla, but it's uh, it's on its way and it was quite quite an unexpected hit domestically, you know, for a Japanese language movie um, about a character that has its own like cinema universe going on at a major American studio. Yeah, that's really unique, actually. But you know, it, I think I think we discussed this last week or the week before, where it's you know you get your your Godzilla minus one or your Shin Godzilla for some quality Godzilla stories, and then you just go to Godzilla X Kong for your your big beat 'em ups and your your Titan action films. Yeah, both can exist at the same time, and yeah. I think there's there's a a place for both in the market and I enjoy oh, sure. both. Yeah. Uh Trolls Band Together is in fifth this week, down thirty five point one percent. Another four million dollars nearly for that movie right there, bringing its troll worldwide to one hundred and eighty five point nine million. Wish continues taking on Shin down another forty point four percent, three point one million dollars a fairly partially $128 million worldwide for Wish, Disney's big 100th anniversary celebration spectacular. Uh, Napoleon somehow is still in the, <laughs> the top 10, but uh, not for long, I suspect, as it's left 750 feeders and dropped 45.3% week on week. $189 million worldwide for Napoleon, an historical epic that fails to feel very epic. Uh, Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, is hemorrhaging uh, funds week on week, down 65%, already out of 819 feeders, uh, bringing in just $1.9 million this week. Only $39 million worldwide take for Renaissance. So, I mean, objectively... Taylor Swift is like what? What's four? Like five times, nearly yeah. six times the artist fiance is. Numbers don't lie, and they spell yeah. disaster. Um, poor things rolls out to a wider release now in a staggering eighty-two theaters, but that was a good enough. Uh, left to bump it up 93.9% over its premiere week, um, bringing in $1.282 million for a total worldwide, which is all just domestic at this point, $2.9 million. So they're slow rolling it. It's an artsy film. I'm not yeah. surprised. Um, and rounding out the top 10, we have The Shift which is a movie I don't recognize. After meeting a mysterious stranger, a man must escape a dystopian world to return to his wife. And I think I see Russell Crowe in there, so you know it's good. Uh -huh. You know he's going to be sitting around. He's going to be lurking. Acting up a storm. 
Uh, the sh- so the shift brought in one million dollars, down fifty point four percent. Oh, that's from Angel Studios, our favorite filmmakers. Oh, they've. Uh, you know, Russell Crowe would do something with Angel Studios. I'm not sure if that is him. I should I should check before I slander his name. Oh. Um. Let's see the shift full cast and crew. It's not Russell Crowe. Okay. Well, Russell Crowe, your name has been cleared. You were the Pope, but no, a bishop. You were a bishop, not a Pope. Yeah, no one you would have heard of is in this movie. Um, Angel Studios, famous for putting out The Sound of Freedom earlier this year and a couple other movies. Wait, yeah, there is. Oh, yeah, Sean Astin. Wait, is he like the big? He's like the big name, maybe. I, Sean Astin from the Lord of the Rings. He was uh Samwise. Was he Samwise? I think yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't recognize him because he wasn't made to look he's... much shorter than his fellow actors. <laughs> yeah. And um, also Neil McDonough. I've seen him in a lot of stuff. Um. Nothing that I can be like, you know. It's interesting. There's always those actors that are like, they're never the star of things, but they're like supporting cast because they're just decent at, at, at stuff. Yeah, they're not super recognizable, but they're good actors, so they keep getting work. Yeah. And th- this guy's one of them. He's a, definitely a supporting actor on a ton of shit. Yeah. But hey, it makes him a paycheck. Yep, keep getting them checks. Keep your SAG card active. Uh, well, t- bold of me to assume that Angel Studios is a SAG workspace. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> they may think unions are the devil. All right, so that's the top ten. Uh, falling out this week is Silent Night, which uh, failed to get much traction, and the Marvels continues to tumble out. Um. American Fiction apparently opened last week, so oh, yeah. if you're in if you're in one of the major metropolitan areas in the country, there's a chance you could have already gotten to see it. Um, but yeah, that's that's gonna wrap up the fall up there as we continue to make swift progress through the show, and we talk now, as we do every week after the fall up, about some gaming news. And this week, I think the big story, um, well, I guess it kind of happened last week, but Insomniac hackers have have now leaked because Insomniac declined to pay the ransom uh, like 1.6 terabytes of files, um, including a developmental build of their Wolverine game for the PC that modders are already kind of making playable. (laughs) So, uh, if you, if you do, if you ask the right questions in the right corners of the internet, you could on PC, uh, play an early build of Insomniac's Wolverine game. And, um, a lot of other interesting information came out of that leak, including 
the budget for Spider-Man 2. Insomniac Spider-Man 2 costs $316 million to make, which is a higher budget than any Spider-Man movie, uh, at least production budget. Um, when you factor in advertising, I'm sure uh, far more than like half a billion was invested in No Way Home. Uh, but that is still an insane number and quite the staggering figure. That's that's crazy. Yeah, compared to like movies and stuff like that, that's pretty sexy. I'm I'm wondering what the uh, the profits of that that game was. Oh, I'm sure it. it made a ton of money they uh, let's see how many how many units did spider man 2 sell on the ps5 so it shipped over as of october 30th it sold over 5 million units so 5 million at uh, seventy dollars a pop is three hundred and fifty million plus DLCs and collector's editions. Um, quite a bit, and uh, they'll sell quite a bit more when it releases on PC. So it's gonna it's gonna make plenty of money. Alrighty, um, let's pull another guy here. Um, Obsidian at one point had pitched to Bethesda doing a Fallout New Vegas, but for the Elder Scrolls series, and Bethesda declined the offer. Um, developer and writer Chris Avalone, formerly of Interplay and Obsidian Entertainment, uh, has been recently doing some musing on Twitter about some of the roads not traveled during his time at Obsidian. Obsidian. Uh, one of Avalon's biggest credits is uh, his work on Fallout New Vegas, as well as the original Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 when he was at Interplay. Um, that's not in the article, but I actually know a little bit about what I'm talking about, so I can interject as needed, um, which is, in my opinion, the best 3D Fallout and the best Fallout game since uh, Fallout 2. Um, but anyway, all that is not what's being discussed. He said that Obsidian wanted to do similar idea, but for the Elder Scrolls and after Fallout New Vegas, Avalon was involved in the proposals that Obsidian was making to Bethesda. One of the Elder Scrolls proposals, which he had pitched, was intended to serve the same function Fallout New Vegas did between three and four to provide more adventures in the setting during the years before the next Bethesda release. Inspiration came from an unlikely quarter. I thought it couldn't hurt to try and pitch similar system to what Treyarch and Activision had been doing with Call of Duty at the time, but hopefully less rushed. Uh, Bethesda could do a core release, and then we'd do a release, release a Elder Scrolls title. Yada, yada, yada. Um, but they didn't gain a lot of traction and he never got the impression that Bethesda was happy with Fallout New Vegas's reception, um, which could be a little bit of jealousy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a shame that we never got to experience that. 
Um, so, uh, I, I'm finding an article here. This is on like the front page. Um, shares in Chinese gaming giant tumble uh, as the CCP imposed strict new regulations on spending limits alongside a ban on login bonuses and luck-based draw features for miners. Our report states that nearly $80 billion in market value has spilled out of two major companies alone. Um, and yeah, where is it? Uh, so Tencent Games and NetEase Games. And I believe Tencent is the one that owns um, like Riot. Tencent yeah, owns a lot of things. Yeah, it has it right here. Yeah. Parent company of studios like Riot which is League of Legends, uh, and Fat Shark, which has Warhammer 40k and Darktide. Or Warhammer 40k Darktide, rather. Um, NetEase has played a hand in games like Diablo Immortal and Dead by Daylight Mobile. Um, Mi- MiHoYo, the company behind popular gacha games in, like Genshin Impact, and Honkai Stonk... Star- Star- Honkai Stonk <laughs> Market. <laughs> yeah, Honkai Stonk Market. <laughs> Honkai Star Rail is also based in China. So all these major gaming studios are going to get hit with this um, and have to um, kind of reconfigure how they do their their bonuses or or incentivize players to come back um, and play and play and play. So um, interesting. I don't I don't know. Um, like I know that's that's like par for the course for like the CCP to definitely be uh, heavily regulatory on private owned companies. Um, well, I don't think there's private ownership in China. I don't think that concept exists under communism. Private ownership. It's private ownership. <laughs> it's it's uh, you make a big donation to the government uh, so you can um, conduct get away your with business as you as you desire. I mean, like uh, if you remember a while ago, there was a guy named Jack Ma <laughs> who was like the. Uh, I remember Yilong like, Ma. <laughs> Yeah, no, this is Jack Ma. I think it's Jack Ma. Uh, he was like the guy behind um, uh, China's um, like uh, Amazon, basically. Uh, he and he was literally like their Jeff Bezos. He was insanely rich um, until he like got a little too lippy against the uh, CCP and was uh, against some of their 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 taxes. So he got uh, reeducated <laughs> and uh, a small percentage of his net profits um ended up in the pockets of the ccp uh and then he changed his tune you know because <laughs> that happens um but this is kind of big because um uh you know especially with riot games like league of legends is huge um i think it's probably one of the bigger names on this list um and they have a global market you know uh, getting all over the place and i guess this is bound to happen one company, one country says, "Hey, you can't do this." Like, like we saw this a little while ago with um, the gambling packs in uh, like Sweden or some of that. There's yeah. some European country that got really, really against um, like the the surprise pack openings from like Overwatch and uh, FIFA and stuff like that. So they consider that gambling, and is that definition of gambling? So in that area, things change, or just in the game in general has to change how it throws out of his incentives um i don't know whether or not necessarily this is going to make a big difference i don't know what kind of research they had behind like saying these um like the login once a day and luck-based draw features were a like uh, a, a a bad influence on miners but 
Well, yeah, the idea of it being effectively gambling and being something that yeah. children can participate in without really understanding the concept of gambling yeah. is troubling. Although um, there was gambling in Pokemon games, and I like to think we turned out fine. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And um, I, yeah, it's, it's but weird, we weren't using real money, I guess. That's yeah. that's where the where the line gets drawn. Um, but it's like, but it's like logging in once a day. It's just incentivizing to come back to the game. Um, I don't see how that's gambling. I don't see it, how that's. It's it's um, not that that's gambling. It's just kind of like. It's addiction and yeah, like, it's it's encouraging. Like it's encouraging use of something that like login bonuses. I don't think are the problem necessary i think it's login bonuses for certain types of games but they didn't feel that they could pick and choose yeah and they had to kind of enforce it unilaterally would be my guess yeah uh yeah it's it's definitely a gray area um i know a lot of people a lot of the community is torn on whether or not it's um these are really important things to be going after um uh this is definitely probably in a lot of people's eyes like an overstep overreach in like authority but um that's to be expected out of china <laughs> i was about to so. say like that's that's what china does well <laughs> well yeah it does well but like there are other times where like they do overreach their authority but for good reasons um you know when it's when it's something affecting the community and you know formula gets out there and it's got contaminations in there and the people who's responsible end up like actually going to prison for life and losing their comp, losing like a major portion of their net worth. Um, that I understand. It's like you are harming people, harming children over your negligence. Um, that I can understand. This, it you know, the jury's still out. I think on, on a lot of these things, but yeah, I don't know. But it, I don't know if it'll affect us. I mean. I, it depends on Riot if they're going to actually change the entire game or just the local versions of that game. And probably that's what they're going to do, localized versions of that game. They're going to... Yeah, I would expect not have these that. Features. Yeah. So it probably won't really affect everybody too much. Just know that's a thing that they're concerned about. Yeah. All righty. Think, uh think they'll wrap it up for for gaming news this week and we can talk straight into our feature because it's a it's a long movie there's a lot of things to discuss um whether or not any of us really want to discuss them <laughs> we watched killers of the flower moon sorry i just i got distracted i think i heard something come over there and i was like was that a shit <laughs> I was like, did I hear that through my headphones? Well, That's terrifying. <laughs> eh, you know what? He was keep he was holding it in today, so <laughs> glad he feels this better. human being just shat next to me. This... Hey, I'm I'm happy for him. You know? <laughs> Good Whatever for you, makes kid. Him happy. <laughs> um yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um it's a what? What is the total runtime? Was it three and a half? Three hours and twenty eight minutes. Yeah, that is a long, long movie. Um, and yeah, I should have probably done what you did instead of sleeping through it. But um, <laughs> I was trying to knock it out. Um, 
because there were definitely times where I nodded off. Um, yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, take an intermission about halfway through. Yeah, it's it's a lot to hold on to, and like a lot of the the runtime is kind of lengthened by stuff that's not really important. Um, for example, when Leo's character and uh, Lily Gladstone's character get married, there's a shot that lasts about like 25, maybe 35 seconds of just some random dude who we've never seen before dancing at the wedding, having a good time. Like 35 seconds of this guy dancing. And there's a lot of shit like that in there. And, you know, 35 seconds doesn't sound like a lot, but when you add it up over the course of the movie, I'd estimate you probably have close to 25 minutes of just stuff that's not important to the story that could have been cut out very easily. Yeah, like um, just off the top of my head, like um, kind of more in the beginning of the movie where he's um, he's doing his day job as a chauffeur and he goes to pick up Molly and he's um, distracted by the cars racing down the road and he runs after them and is like intrigued by him and, and, and wants to watch the race more. But then Molly's like, do you have money on the race? And he's like, no. He's like, okay, well then let's go. <laughs> I'm not waiting for you to watch these cars go up and down the road. And it's like that whole segment took like maybe maybe a minute from like beginning to end since when they started driving down. Yeah. And I, I it just it's not about racing. It's not about that shit. Like he could skip over it. And there's there's so much stuff that like they cover. Like they cover a lot of ground. Yeah. Uh, like the whole conspiracy of of orchestrating the murders of the Osage people could have been its own movie, and then on top of that, they added on like the whole FBI getting created aspect and like the legal drama that ensued afterwards. Like I'm watching yeah. this, and I remember that John Lithgow and Brandon Fraser are supposed to be in this movie. It's two hours into the movie. I haven't fucking seen them yet. <laughs> two hours in, Jesse Plemons shows up, and you're like, oh. That's right. He's a he's like a star in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how just how much ground it covers, and like it's all it's all interesting. Like the subject matter is interesting, not all the like superfluous minutia is interesting, and that's kind of where I think I personally struggled a little bit watching this movie. But like I found the su- the overall subject matter I find to be interesting. Um, but this movie's framed in an interesting way that, um, you know, it's been something similar has been done before by Scorsese, actually. Um, I got kind of a the departed vibe from this a little bit in that, like, you are you're really close to the antagonists the entire time of the movie. Like, es- essentially, you follow the antagonists. Uh, throughout the entire movie because um, Robert Nier's character, who's uh, Leo's character's um, uncle, is orchestrating the, the murder of these people to get their, their oil money. And uh, Leo's complicit in it. And they, like, try at the end to kind of frame it up as, oh, Leo's just, you know, he's he's kind of a simple guy. He's a nice guy. He's being taken advantage of. But he was, like, so 
you know, unhesitantly complicit in every criminal activity that you struggle to really feel that way about his character. And like the only characters you, you root for really are the Osage people and they keep getting murdered by the characters that you're more, you follow more closely for the runtime of the movie. So it's like hard to, to find a great group to root for, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, no, I agree. I I thought Leo's Ernest character was definitely going to be, more like, I was going to be like on his side more or feel more for him. He's been in a tough spot. But, you know, they started off with one of the first like big things he does in the town is um, rob some Osage people. Yeah. And, like steal their gems and then go gamble it away. Like, I, I don't know. I thought he was going to be a little bit like better morally. Um, especially because they kind of blurred the lines with how he felt about Molly. And it seemed like he was genuine about molly but then again he turns around and goes like and robs her people and yeah like he he does genuinely love molly and that's kind of like the point they drive home but like he he doesn't he doesn't do anything to like improve her life necessarily like you don't really feel that he loves her through deed because especially when it got to when he agreed to start in putting heroin in her insulin injections, like if they had done a lot more to show how morally conflicted he was about that, it would have been better, I think. But he he puts up very, very little resistance to the idea. He's just like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, one of the things I I did read after this because I wanted to make sure I had this movie down, um, was you know he he at a certain point he puts some of the heroin in his like whiskey. He starts swallowing um, it. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if this was because he felt shame, or if he wanted to like, you know, if I'm poisoning you, I I should be poisoning myself as well, and be kind of one of those, or maybe he felt the shame. Um and uh, poisoning his wife and then to take that edge off to take that pain away he took some of this, um it could that could have been why could have been why he was doing it, um, because I you know trying to find like motivations or some redeeming factors in, in his work, because, you know sometimes villains work well, or people who are bad in movies work well, when they're just like constantly bad they're they don't have any redeeming factors. That's fine, but when it's your main character, yeah, you should be able to put some redeeming factors and human qualities in them, and there wasn't much with Ernest. Yeah, like Robert De Niro's character is is perfectly fine with how much of a scumbag he is because he's kind of like yeah. a side character. Mm-hmm. And if he had been orchestrating it and like maybe Ernest knew about it, but didn't try to stop. Like, I understand it's based on a true story. There's a book that this is based off of. You have limited license in how you do this, but you could have framed it up differently. You could have focused on Molly more as the main character, right? And kind of had Ernest be, we don't know so much about Ernest. We don't see so much of him dealing with uh, Robert De Niro. It's more of a mystery what's happening to these people. And what then at the end, you can show. 
like I guess was it really that big of a mystery because just it was a bunch of these Indians being murdered by by the white people. Well, they they knew their... they knew that it was that they were being murdered, right? Like they they figured it was murdered, and there was no investigation that because the mystery yeah. was who was orchestrating these murders. I don't know that that was well known or even well suspected, because most of the Osage, because of how he presented himself, viewed but, De Niro's character as guess... an ally. As an as an audience, I guess we we all kind of realize it was. Yeah, because they showed it. Yeah. The entire like they they told the audience. What I'm yeah. saying is, you could have reframed this movie around Molly, and we don't see all those scenes until towards the end of the movie when you get to the trial, and all that information comes out. That way, and you like focus on how Molly reacts to this news because we don't really see it. Like they don't focus yeah. so much on her reaction to this revelation. You know that would have been a lot better, I think, and a lot, um, not just to make it shorter, but it would have been a shorter movie, because you can understand, you can explain away a lot of things just by she was on bed rest, because she was sick with diabetes for the majority of her of the movie. Yeah, not for the majority, maybe a good a good chunk of the movie she was. Sick. They establish uh, early yeah. on she has diabetes and that she's having some trouble doing it. But the new invention of insulin <laughs> comes to save her life. I like that. From that a was, cow's pancreas. I was like, oh, oh, I know that. <laughs> insulin, yeah. That newfangled thing. Um, so, but the, yeah, that, that would be good because I think watching it as an audience, there were no big surprises. There were no big, like, Oh my God! Like this, I was on the edge of my seat for this part because I don't know what's gonna happen. It's like we knew King was doing the murders. We knew Ernest was going out making the requests and and making the requests for the assassinations, and then we saw it happen. So it's you a know. there's a difference. It's a different style of crime, right? There's the who done it, which is uh, you know, uh, obviously as the name implies. Kind of the audience doesn't know who who's responsible for it, and the movie is the there are stories finding that out, and it's the how they catch them, which is kind of like what Columbo does, um, and what this movie did, where you know how the crime's being committed, but it's all about how they get caught, and that's that's fine. I don't object necessarily to doing your story that way. I do feel however that the how they get caught should have been something more than oh they invent the fbi and the fbi shows up and investigates for 10 minutes and then they have enough to make an arrest (laughs) but i guess you could argue that that is kind of the point right like this could have been easily solved if um like the the police in town did their job and weren't in yeah. in King's pocket, but that doesn't make for the most exciting movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm wondering about how they could have done it differently. I think definitely from like Molly's perspective, it would have been, um, I think, more interesting for the audience. But I guess it was an entertaining movie in the in the fact that, um, you know, we got to see these murders happen. It was, it was uh, visually interesting. It was, um, I don't know exciting to see these mafia style hits take place because it really reminded me of like the godfather in a lot of ways yeah in some respects quickly take out one shot to the head the assassination yeah i do 
I, like like I said, I I enjoyed the movie. I want to make clear that I thought the movie was pretty good, and um, you know, it's it's a hard ask. Like I, as far as recommending it to a general audience, I don't think I would recommend it. Um, I would recommend it to someone who is either you know interested in the story, um, or a big like Scorsese fan or that kind of movie fan, like crime movie. Uh, it's got stuff for people who are into crime movies. It's got stuff that are pe- for people that are into period movies. I actually suspect that people who are really into like period movies would probably get more out of this than people who are into crime movies because this movie really, really fell in love with its setting and they showcased it to an almost painful degree. Um, you know, all the stuff that was going on in this town and what this town was like in Oklahoma in the 1920s and all that sort of thing. So if if you're... I really feel like if you're into period pieces, you'd probably get a lot out of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, because the, um, the setting, the scenery, the, um, the, the people, the Osage uh, tribe were really well, like, um, decorated. And I think... I, get, I mean, I'm not an expert on it, so I don't... I wouldn't know if it was, like, accurate to the, to the style, but... Yeah, I, it, it looked twenties. Although my uh, yeah. my girlfriend kind of snidely pointed out that ear piercings might not have been as in vogue, but that was when she was under the impression it was in the sixties, not the twenties. So I don't know if that's better. She watches all this period shit, so she gotcha. she seemed to like the costuming, but she didn't watch a whole lot of it with me. She only like watched like thirty minutes of it. Yeah, yeah. The um, yeah, I liked a lot of that. Um. The the acting I thought in general was really good. Yeah, I mean, of um, course, like so many like really good actors in this movie, it'd be kind of hard for the acting to be bad. It's like Oppenheimer, right? When you have like Remy yeah. Malik, uh, kind of shoved into like this small role that gets like five minutes of screen time, that's the quality of actor that you have in this movie. Yeah, like it's yeah. not, it can't be bad. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. I mean, it's. They definitely put out for a really good cast, a really good, um, I mean, the story I think is good. I, I just think it could have been trimmed up a bit. It, yeah, the story itself is good and is interesting. The way the story is presented in the movie is maybe a little uh, less concise, and it, it, it the story is made less interesting for it. Um, yeah. But like if you if you kind of like take all the the bits the good the juicy bits out of it and trim the fat like it's there's a very interesting story in here about you know how Native American people were taken advantage of and you know done dirty and how that led to the creation of the FBI and you know all the the influence the FBI has now I would have liked to have seen more of the agency honestly. Uh, yeah. and it's it's nascent days. I think that would have been kind of interesting, but it's just you know the investigators show up, they do some interrogations, but and they you know they report that they have agents out there that are like relaying information to them and stuff. So I, I guess they do a little bit, but I think it would have been. I think the investigation uh, could have been focused on a little bit more, and you could have cut out some of the stuff like the dancing at the wedding. <laughs> Um, to to do that and not increase your runtime any, um, and the movie probably would have been more interesting for it. Yeah, 
How do you how'd you like the um the ending where it was uh uh oldie time radio theater murder mystery kind of um show like it, it it transformed into um I don't even know what you would call it like a, a like a talkie almost yeah um it wasn't bad it kind of gave me an asteroid city vibe honestly yes, yeah. Um, which I did not like that movie, so it didn't remind me of something that I liked too much. I think it would have been more powerful if they had kind of ended it um, with, you know, the uh, the Osage, like, tribal chanting that they were doing, like, right before that and, like, had it fade to black there. But they, they chose to do that. To kind of, I guess, drive home that this is retelling a, a story that was in the news. Um, and it, it's not like supposed to be fictional. I don't, I don't know what the, the reasoning for it was. Um, I figured it was like a, a more interesting way to like wrap up, like, where are they now or where are they, where they were. I guess so, I guess. but I don't know that I think you could have done that in the credits. Yeah. Especially when you're, you, told, mo- you totally could have. When your movie's already <laughs> over three hours long. <laughs> Instead, you, what could have been a title card or ti- not a title card, but like a conclusion card before the credits, they turn into this big production. That is, I guess if you're a Scorsese, that's the most Scorsese thing you can do. Yeah, that's probably the, the most Scorsese thing, thing you can do. Yeah. But but all in all, I think it was, um, I thought it was an okay movie. I, I don't know if, maybe it just wasn't for me. Yeah. and I, that's... I'm, I'm hard pressed to say it was bad. Because I don't think it was bad, but it was hard to follow. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really, I wasn't 100% sold on Molly and Ernest's relationship. I constantly kept on this, getting this feeling that he only wants her for the money. Yeah. He only wants to be with her for the money. And he's like willing to literally kill her family to have more money. Because that's like, that's like all, all they, they talk about. Honestly, yeah. like that's all his dialogue about his relationship with her. Like when he interacts with her in their scenes together, which there are actually a lot fewer of than you would think there would be. Um, you kind of get the feeling that, you know, he genuinely cares for her, which, um, you know, especially the the biggest one of those scenes is when he's testifying under oath and they're like, did you marry her specifically for the money? He's like, no, I love her. Um, you know, that's supposed to be like a big emotional reckoning. Um, and it, it kind of, it comes off, it, it, I guess it comes off differently to different people. Cause if you're someone who like, didn't really get the sense that he loved her, uh, I suppose that's a pretty big reveal. Um, but, uh, if you kind of like paid attention to how they interacted together and you kind of already felt that they loved her he loved her you know it's kind of like yeah we get it we know um yeah which i guess is kind of a, a little bit of an interesting phenomenon how it, it comes across to different people but uh yeah like I, I i can't blame anyone for not really getting a lot out of this movie i happen to like it i acknowledge the problems with it heck you know, I'll say right now, it's too long. It's re- you can't really sit through it all in one go. Um, but I think it's a pretty well-made movie. 
Um, I would recommend it, like I said, to people who are really into period stuff, really into Scorsese kind of movies, um, and, you know, either are willing to watch a movie in two parts or, you know, have really long attention spans and aren't bothered by a really long movie. Um, I think there's there's enough for you to enjoy. Um, you know, obviously, I don't think we're going to get a shorter cut of this movie, but <laughs> I would maybe recommend that to a, a wider audience. Where's the director's cut? <laughs> Give us a longer one. Um, but, yeah, I feel... I feel like this is it's a hard one to recommend to a general audience. So I would I would kind of say I don't recommend it, uh, not because it's a poorly made movie, but because it's a bit uh, unapproachable for a lot of people. But if yeah. what we've described here sounds intriguing to you, um, and like the reason we didn't go in like too much detail into spoilers because this is this is history, like. <laughs> It's already been spoiled by a textbook. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like there's there's some good stuff in here to to watch. Uh, you know, watch like some of the the best scenes on YouTube. I guess if you're someone who doesn't want to sit through the whole movie, because uh, there are some really good scenes in there. And um, otherwise, skip it. Respectfully. Respectfully, <laughs> skip it. <laughs> Skip it due to personal tastes. Um, and, and shockingly, I think that's going to wrap <laughs> yeah. on probably the fastest episode of Sandstone's podcast since, like, we got to double-digit episode numbers. Certainly since we got yeah. the triple-digit episode numbers. Um, For sure. But we, we speed-ran it today because we've got children <laughs> involved. You know, it, it's so funny because now he decides to just be passed out, which is what I was trying to get him to do in the beginning of the episode and you can clearly see he is out he, as soon as like I a light. Him up, he's out he's, he was tired fucking kids man yep being a dad's great ain't it <laughs> it's it. only gonna get worse from here <laughs> just wait till he starts talking back to you <laughs> oh i know right um all right, so yeah, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Sirens Podcast. Next week, th episode 399 is going to be year-end awards. Um, after that, episode 400. Uh, I don't know that we've decided what we're doing for that milestone, but that'll be that thing, and then the rest will be 90s uh, month for the rest of January, and that's how we're going to play that this year. So um, until that time, uh, be well, stay safe, and Parlex1995, have a... Uh, Merry Christmas if you celebrate, and a Happy New Year to everyone else, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.